With authority. Let, let's just start with the basics here. Uh, you were you were born and raised in Oakland. I uh, went to high school there. What does this <coughs> mean to you to be honored by the Oakland A's? You know, I, I haven't really thought about that part of it. The, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the names that are already retired are all um, national baseball Hall of Famers. And um, so then the first thought is, then this must be something special. This is me talking to myself. This must be something special that I've been able to, to break that trend and become a non-Hall of Fame number to be retired. Um, and then, you know, the second piece of it is my backyard was literally a, a stone's throw from, from the Coliseum. And you know, I don't know how many games I hopped the fence and went down the ice plants and planted my feet and hit out in right field, you know, through batting practice as a kid watching, you know, the 68 through I graduated in 1975. So I watched the age from 68 to 75 religiously and, you know, to, to spend the bulk of my career in that ballpark in the Oakland A's uniform and, and, um, you know, to have a certain amount of success, it's, it's difficult to say I had a great amount of success, but, you know, I did some, some things in that, in that A's uniform that, you know, I'm very, very proud of. And, um, you know, I can look back on and say, you know, I did that. And, um, and so, you know, that's very, very meaningful to me and special to me um, in itself. And so, I mean, the overall experience, um, you know, I don't think I have words to express my appreciation for the A's organization um, putting me in this position on, on Sunday. Uh, I think you're being a little overly modest there because uh... – you were a key part of their success for so many years. But I'm glad you mentioned the hopping the fence as a kid, because uh, one story I read was that uh, Reggie Jackson actually caught you when you were sneaking in and said, I'll make you a deal. I'll get you some tickets if you wash my car. Is that is that the way it went? No, not at all. Oh. Actually, he did turn as he we were in batting practice, hiding out in the right field bleachers. And as balls were being hit up there, me and my cousins were were collecting balls. And Reggie had turned his back to the infield and was literally back to the infield, looking in the seats, waiting for us to pop up. And then um, a ball was hit up and he he hollered out at us, old man Finley is not going to be happy with you guys. You know, he's going to put you guys out of here. And one of my my cousins said in a, in a smart way, <laughs> well, he, he most certainly couldn't keep us from coming in here, so how is he going to put us out, <laughs> were the comments that were made. And then, you know, Monday hit a home run. We waited around back for Rick Money to come out and, and sign the ball, of which when he came out, he questioned us about the time of night it was and being a school night and didn't sign the ball, and Reggie was the last person to come out. And Reggie called us um, smart ass kids and, <laughs> and uh, you know, continued walking out with us and asked us where we lived. And, 
asked us if we wanted a ride. And my response back to Reggie was, my mother told us to never accept rides with strangers. And so <laughs> though we didn't ride with them, our bikes were, were chained up at the Union 76 station on 66 in San Leandro. We got our bikes and rode, rode home on our bicycles with Reggie following us closely behind to make sure we made, to be sure we made it home safely. And then after a period of time, um, we eventually accepted tickets from Reggie, never asking us to watch his car, but he had a black GTO that it was so polished and shined up that it looked like it was wet. Nice. And, we, and we purposely kept an eye on his car. Somebody put, put a beer cup on top of his car and we gave that, that person the once over and, and, and that's how our relationship began. So it's gotta be even more special given that your number is retired as is his and not that many numbers retired. No, I'm, I mean, I think the number is five that are retired and I'll become the sixth um, and, but, you know, my relationship with Reggie, uh, you know, started from that day and then it's crazy. I was drafted in 75 and really didn't see much of Reggie from 75 until 1981. And, uh, our, 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 uh, our Dodger team at that time was, was playing the Yankees. And I had a chance to reunite with Reggie in 1981 with my son, Adrian. And uh, from 81 until today, we've stayed connected. I consider Reggie to be my, my big brother. That's cool. So you got the nickname Smoke as a catcher, which I, I think a lot of people would be surprised about. Uh, is it true that you really wanted to catch more than pitch? No doubt about it. I, I, I pitched minimally in high school. Um, a guy named Tack Wilson, also a Bay Area native, also drafted by the Dodgers, and we became teammates with the Dodgers, as well as playing here for Oakland Police, for Harry Harris and, and, um, and John Martin. Uh, but when I, was, when I was a catcher playing for that team, you know, I, I thought that I was the – originator of throwing people out at second base from my knees. And uh, Tack was a second baseman at that time. And every time we threw somebody out, he would say, way to throw that smoke down there, smoke, smoke, way to throw that ball down there. And then he brought that to the Dodgers. And, you know, we were on opposite sides of the locker room and I hear a voice, smoke. And everybody in the clubhouse started calling me smoke. And that's how that's how the name stuck with me. And it's part of your, uh, your email address. I think, are you trying to be the, the last man alive with an AOL address? And I'm the last man alive with an AOL address. And until my Blackberry broke about a year ago, I had probably the last Blackberry. So I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an old, ancient, antique guy. Apparently. Um, Got to talk about the menacing stare. Um, when did you realize that that could work in your favor? You know, I did, I didn't know. Um, that's a thing that I accidentally got from Sandy Koufax when I was learning how to throw strikes in 1976 in instructional league. Um, Sandy had 
you know, told me that on top of the mound after we had worked on my other mechanics, because I hadn't won a game in two years. I had more innings picked, more walks than innings pitched. And um, Sandy ended up uh, breaking down my mechanics in um, instructional league that year. And so I got there and and was still wild high after all of the mechanical changes. And he told me to lower my cap and asked me what I was seeing on the catcher. When we first started lowering the cap, I could still see the top of the catcher's head and I could still see the hitter's hands. He said, lower it some more. And I lowered it some more. And he says, what do you see? I said, I see the catcher's chin and his shoulders. So he said, all right, throw, throw a pitch. And all of a sudden I was down in the strike zone. And so the lowering of the cap was actually in the process of learning how to throw the ball down in the strike zone. When did you realize that people were getting scared when they saw you do that? You know, um, Julio Franco, which unfortunately or fortunately, I um, ended up getting in a brawl with the Cleveland Indians uh, in 86. And in that brawl, a few days later, Franco told me, man, I can't even see your eyes. I I don't know where in the hell you're even throwing a ball. He says, man, that's kind of scary. And that was the first recognition that I wore my cap. I had no idea they couldn't even see my eyes. And that was the first thought of it. And then actually the media started making more of it. And um, that intimidation factor. um, And that's when I realized and really understood that, you know, there may be something to it. It wasn't like I was going to change it. That's who I was at the time. But, you know, more and, hit, more and more hitters started talking about it. Kirby Puckett, Joe Carter, Julio Franco. And so I, I knew that there was, there was something to it. Well, it certainly worked for you. Uh, the stuff I remember that, that's so cool is you always seem to be at your best in pressure situations. And uh, I always love watching you pitch against Roger Clemens because you, you just seem to have his number what did you feel when you took the mound, let's say in a playoff game, World Series game? Like, how, how were you able to, to summon your best at the right moment? I played a lot of baseball in the backyard with my brother, Gregory, who's five years older than me. And it seemed like when we, we played a game called Strikeout in the backyard. So it was just me and him, me against him, him against me. I mean, the object obviously was to strike the hitter out. And so, but you play to game situations. You play to whatever the situation is. My brother was the oldest, so he always made the situations. And it just always seemed like I was pitching against Willie Mays or Willie McCovey or Jim Rayhart or somebody. And the bases were loaded with nobody out. Those were always seemed like the situations he would put me under. And so, you know, that started the process. And as I got older, I started to become better at being able to get my brother out in those situations. And then, you know, when I was finally pitching on a regular basis, um, the lessons I learned from Sandy Koufax in that 76 instructional league produced an 18 and four season in 1977. 
And then, um, you know, the real process of situations and understanding how to create those situations happened with Tony LaRusso and Dave Duncan. You know, now I'm pitching against each team's number one or number two starter, uh, you know, and if you face Jack Morris enough or Roger Clemens enough or, or Frank Viola or Petrie or Guidry or whoever it is, you're going to start realizing that there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be scoring any runs. And so Tony brought it to me that I should use those opportunities for when we finally got into the playoffs. So this started in 1987, my first 21 season. And so I started to look at each situation as a playoff situation when I faced those guys. Um, and it created an idea of what to expect when we finally made the playoffs. And so no situations <clears throat> came, became a surprise to me um, when I pitched in, in, in the playoffs because I had already practiced those situations during the course of the year. And so um, I, I think that that had a lot to do with the calmness and being able to work my way through those games that I pitched in the playoffs. So the, the repetition really uh, helped. You mentioned your brother, um, I know your dad died when you were young, when you were a teenager. Uh, how did that impact your life, change your life? And I know it was a lot of years ago, but uh, imagine what your dad would think about Sunday. Well, you know, my father, I'm, I probably gave him one of his most embarrassing moments. Uh, my nephew, Marlon, and I were out in the front yard and one of my father's uh, friends had come over and his name was Al and Al had come over and my dad um, as well maybe you don't know this might not be part of the research but my dad was a longshoreman um, he moved to the barrier from Lake Charles Louisiana um, obviously to seek an opportunity for better better work better opportunities to purchase a home just for better and so my dad was a hardworking man. Um, he worked the night shifts and, you know, he worked through the night, come home in the morning and he'd be ready to hit the sack, but he always had time, you know, for conversation and to make breakfast or some food and we'd sit and we'd talk. So at a very, very young age, you know, the question is always, what do you want to be when you grow up? So that was, that question was asked from, my dad's friend, Al, of me and my nephew, my, my nephew stood up proudly and he said, I want to be a doctor. And my answer to that question is, I want to be a baseball player. And my dad was, man, he wasn't happy with me. He, he looked at my nephew and said, that's a great answer. And he said to me, I don't know what makes you think that you're going to be able to, what, what makes you think that you're going to be able to make a living hitting a baseball with a stick. And, you know, so to speak, he was right. I didn't make a living hit the baseball with the stick, but I did make it avoiding that stick. And so, you know, my dad was a proud man. And, and the, the thing that he and my mother always preached to us as kids, and there were eight of us, the thing that he always preached and she always preached is, I don't care what you do. 
I don't care if, it's, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a garbage man, if you're a gardener, but you're going to do it to the best of your ability and you're going to do it the best you can. And so I think um, that my father, if he was here, um, would say that I did the best that I could and he would be very, very proud of that. Yeah, I'm sure it's interesting because, you know, um, I, I tell my daughters a similar kind of thing, you know, yeah, guarantee success, but as long as you give it your best effort, uh, you know, don't cheat on the effort. If you give it, you know, whatever your maximum is, just give that and, and we'll see what the results are, right? Yep. And uh, that's, 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 that's how my family was, my mother and my father. Uh, you had, you know, a fair amount of ups and downs in your career. Uh, I'm sure a lot of times where you thought, this just is not working out. And I know you turned to the martial arts at one point. Did that impact your life greatly? And uh, is that something you're still involved with? I did it for 17 years. I'm too old to be trying to do any martial arts now with those kids out there, but I do still incorporate the stretching so I can stay loose and limber and you know, keep some type of physical strength by, by just some of the practices of it. Um, the guy who taught me was a guy named Mac Newton. And uh, I also had a guy in Philadelphia named Gus Huffling. And one of the most impactful things that Mac told me, because, you know, I was an angry child and an angry young adult um, growing up. Um, and, you know, as a kid, it was just, you know, trying to avoid fights. And, you know, my mother would tell you that every Friday uh, that she expected me to be in a fight and she would take Monday off work so she could get me back in school. And that was a fact. <laughs> um, but um, as I went through baseball, you know, I, I, you know, people always talked about my, my, my period of time with the Dodgers and they spoke of that as a not very good time. And my numbers as a Dodger, I thought were good numbers for how I was used in the ranges that I was being used, both as a starter, reliever, short reliever, middle reliever. For my role there, I thought I put up good numbers. Texas was the, was the start of the anger for the game. I played for Doug Rader there. And um, quite frankly, he wasn't a good manager um, and he wasn't a good communicator with people. He was a bully. Um, and so that started Bobby Valentine was was great. But by the time Bobby got to Texas, um, it was it was my time there had run out, um, both on the team and with the fans. And then Philadelphia, I, I felt that my talent was better than anybody on that staff, with maybe the exception of Steve Carlton. And uh, I got released from there. And so I was angry. Um, and Gus did the best he could for me there to, to try to taper that anger. But I was released, and the only person that, that, that talked to me the day I was released was Gus Huffman. I never talked to the manager, never talked to any coaches. I was basically told by my martial arts teacher. Um, and then um, when I joined the A's, um, Sandy Alderson um, told me a story that made sense um, when I look back on my, my first period of time with the A's, which is um, I tried out for the A's in Baltimore, by the way, Baltimore in their own ballpark did not want to see me um, throw. 
from the A's saw me throw Jackie Moore and West Stock, and they didn't want to sign me. In a conversation with Sandy and my agent, and he told them of the teams that um, wanted me, um, Sandy decided if there was that much interest that he was going to take a chance. And he did. And he signed me regardless of the wishes of his manager and his pitching coach. And so my first several months with them, um, I may have pitched in a few games, not very many, and I got a start, which I was successful in the start, but just didn't get time. And so once again, that anger started brewing and Dusty Baker, the best friend that I've had in life, uh, was a guy that told me at a time when I told him, I was thinking about, you know, giving baseball up and just pursuing life. And Bake told me, don't, don't do that. Make them take the uniform off your back. And I did that. And so <clears throat> martial arts with Mac Newton started to set in. I became more focused and really concentrated more on the things that I could control and how I could control them. And one of the best things that Matt, Matt Newton told me, and he said it with all honesty, he says, you're the kind of guy that if you're on a ship and you're in, a, you're in high seas and the wind is blowing and the waves are overtaking your boat, you're going to be the guy that wants to continue to try to climb that wake that's 10 or 15 feet above your boat. And eventually the result of that is the wave is going to overtake the boat. It's going to capsize and you're going to be underneath water. He says the, the, the solution to your problem is you have to look at that wave. And as you look at that wave that's 20, 30 feet over your boat, you have to figure out what you're going to do. And he said, Dave, the answer to that is you have to adjust your sails. And that stuck with me for a lifetime. And it quite frankly changed my life. It changed how my point of view of of how I approach things and how I looked at things and how I looked at people. Um, and um, that was a lesson that I've kept. Mac Newton is still a part of my life. We talk uh, from time to time, not as often as we probably should, but um, that was a game changer for me. He and Dusty paid Baker at the same time were game changers. Cool. That's cool. I did uh, martial arts for 10 years and then my, uh, my body started telling me, uh, it's, done. <laughs> it's over, it's over. Uh, well, let's do a little rapid fire here. I'll just throw a name at you and just give me, you know, one or one or two, uh, you know, quick thoughts. Uh, it could be one word or, or whatever, but let's go. Uh, Tony LaRusso. Um, best manager I've ever played for. All right. Uh, Dennis Eckersley. Dennis is sensitive, thoughtful, and um, tremendous human being. Jose Canseco. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't utilize the best of his ability and his talent. Mark McGuire. The best human being in and out that I've ever encountered. And Ricky. <laughs> best, best talent that I've ever played with, most impactful player that I've ever played with, 
and one of my best friends in life. I, I haven't seen him in a while, but I, I imagine he still uh, looks like he, he's uh, an NFL tailback. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> he could have did anything he wanted to. Awesome. Still looks the same. Yeah, that's a genetic gift, genetic gift. We could do this forever, but we're already like a half hour in, so I, I got to let you go. Um, okay. But congratulations. Uh, just one final thought. What are you looking forward to most on Sunday? Because I know you're going to see a lot of your old teammates. What I'm looking forward to most is exactly that. Um, the thing that I miss most about baseball is friendships and, and being around my teammates. And I'll have every influential person in my baseball life and in my personal life, they will be there Sunday. And I'm looking forward to that. That is awesome. That is awesome. Have, have a great day. Uh, at some point, I will see you in person. And uh, I look forward to it. Hope to see you soon, Larry. All right. Take care, Stu. Take care. With authority.